Welcome to Let's Talk About Gay Stuff. Woo. Woohoo! We're the podcast where we talk about gay stuff and discuss the week in LGBTQ plus history. Whoop, 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 Okay, sorry. We are Thomas. Tony. Kendall. And this week we're reviewing the week of August 31st through September the 5th, and we're going to discuss Lily Tomlin, condom on a house. What? Woof. <laughs> Dr. Evelyn you Hooker. You talking about me again? Condom <laughs> on a house. Dr. <laughs> Evelyn Hooker. Um, Must be yeah. a safe house. Yeah. Speaking of houses, you That's know. That's how they know. The condom's on the door, so it's safe to come in. Those, those are, those are, uh, <laughs> That's how you, that's how you did it in college, right? It's like you put a well, no. It was oh, a but I didn't door. know that. In my, I walked into my roommate. I was like, "Why is he putting his dirty laundry on the door?" You were oh mad. Oh my god! You were mad. <laughs> and I like barged in to tell him to like figure out, and there was somebody riding him, a young woman. How, how, how long did you to stay there he... watching? <laughs> two seconds, two minutes. <sighs> Only about five. <laughs> so I was late for class. No, because one of my friends, he was like. Uh, he met this guy on Grinder, and so the guy's like, "Yeah, come on up." So the guy had an open relationship, and so this is like not in college. No, this was probably like okay. seven, eight years ago. I was ago. about to say you weren't around. Like when you were in college, Grinder no. wasn't the internet wasn't. That yeah, this was like seven, or eight years ago. Oh no, everybody's adult here, you know. <laughs> and so he's having sex with this guy, and he's in the middle of writing him, and the boyfriend comes in, and he just comes in, you know, undresses in the. Uh, Closet and slips into bed and just goes to sleep next to the, his, <laughs> yes. his boyfriend having sex they have with that another much guy? of an open relationship. Where it's like, <laughs> there's a joke from Will and Grace where uh, Jack, Jack he's like, I don't like him because he cheated on me. He literally cheated on me, like <laughs> right on me, on top of me. <laughs> and so that's making me think of that. Yeah. Uh, well, that's one way to relieve stress. You, you know, another way to relieve stress, at least for your dogs. Those baked bones CBD treats. A recent Gallup poll shows that Americans have reported feeling stress, worry, and anger at the highest levels in over a decade. And while we are growing more and more aware of the effects stress can have on our bodies and minds, we may not have considered the effects that our stress can have on our pets. According to a 2019 study, there is a synchronization between hormones in humans and their dogs. If you are a dog parent, you probably know that your pup is very good at reading your body language, and you can quickly pick up on how you're feeling. They can quickly pick up on how you're feeling. And we're always working to reduce our own stress in any way we can. But what about the anxiety we may have passed on to our little puppies? Baked Bones has a solution. CBD has been shown to help reduce stress and anxiety in both humans and dogs. And Baked Bones has your dog covered. Made from organic, human-grade ingredients and full-spectrum hemp oil, their bones may offer some relief to your anxious pup. You can check out BakeBones.com for more information on CBD for dogs and the other benefits it may provide. Baked Bones offers free shipping on all orders over $25, and you can save 15% when you use the promo code GAYSTUFF15. Baked Bones is LGBTQ-owned and operated and is based in H-Town, that's Houston, Texas. Baked Bones proudly donates 10% of all of its profits to no-kill shelters in the U.S. Baked Bones, bake dogs happy. Woof. There we go. That's You got it. It only took us a, like a year. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they need CBD for adults because I know it works well on Kennedy. Even though you can hear him Speaking growling right now. Uh, but, I mean, we phone. talk about a 2019 study. I'm interested on the 2020 study because between uh, mm. corona, an election, race, you know, discussions, double hurricanes, and asteroids. asteroids. <laughs> There's an asteroid on like, Oh, my God. I did see today. Florida, they designed these mosquitoes to, like, kill other mosquitoes that carry Zika virus mm. and other stuff. So they're releasing these 
genetically modified mosquitoes. 65,000 of them. <laughs> Is that how many? But yeah. Will, but will they get the murder hornets? Like, Yeah. Those are gone now, I guess. I did see one like positive meme. It was like, you know what? I want to be 2020. You know, I want to have goals like 2020. That's just constantly outdoing yourself. You know, getting, you know, trying to just mm, do better, you know, one up. Every, one up. So, uh, uh, yeah, but I don't know. Anything good happening in 2020? Well, are you scared an asteroid's going to land on your new home that you just bought? My new home. <laughs> yeah. Spence and I just uh, bought a home. Woo. Uh, I Oof. avoided like. Did a you get asteroid insurance? Asteroid insurance. I did not. <laughs> I got a flood insurance. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I purposely left home ownership after a Kindle and I split because I'm like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. We had a townhome back in the day. And I, I didn't want a yard, and so you here I am. Lost your living made. Here, here I am moving to a. Uh, no, Spence has that cover. Spence is is super house cleaner. Super, no offense to you, Kendall, but super cook. Like all, all there's no. But it's now. It's like we got. I mean, it's a fixer upper. Uh, it's an old home. Uh, we got uh, all sorts of work that needs to be done on it, and. Um, yeah, but thankfully we've got Kendall who's advising, help, you know, consulting as an as an interior designer. So I noticed he wasn't posting on Facebook as much. He's this busy. Week. We got him busy. <laughs> well, my number one rule is um, when you put the shackles on the wall, use anchors. So they don't <laughs> right. Come out. Yeah, we have a sex dungeon, uh, so that's good. And a sex attic. Uh, mm. But speaking of sex, like in that house, like the there is a. Um, we found because they're doing f- f- foundation work. We found this like. We were just looking, like, kind of seeing the work they were doing the other day. And there was Spence, like, saw this, like, little pile of paper. And it was just, like, I don't know what it was. And we p- he picked it up. And we're like, what is this? And it was so we started peeling. It was very old, like, because mm-hmm. it was wet. It had just rained. Uh, but it was, like, we peeled it up. I was like, what is this? And it was, uh, like, a sex magazine. Like, Whoa. yeah. How old was it? Like, th- there was something in the in the liter- literature that said 1940s, like a mail oh, in wow. by 1944. It was, like, in really good condition, too, so it's like someone was taking care of it, uh, mm. but found it under the house. And oh, that's cool. And there you go. So someone was not... Well, back either. then, they were still wearing garters during sex. Yeah, s- sleeping in two different beds. Like How do you know it was a woman? Although that sounds like it would be good. Like, I mean, if you have, that's multiple apparatus, apparati, you know, that you can have sex on. And so that's, uh, that's good for, you know. Yeah. <laughs> good for that. More equipment. But anyways, they, uh, that was an interesting. So the house has a long history of. Mm-hmm. You ain't going to teach you anything new. So we, d- we don't even <laughs> have to install a sex Updated dungeon. <laughs> like the sex dungeon's already been there. So all we have to do Ripped is. down <laughs> the drywall and it's there. <laughs> it's like, whoa, what is this? Like the chains the are linked. anchors are still, yeah. <laughs> the anchors. You know, the good thing about the you know the 1920s version of that is like it's it's solid. Like it's mm-hmm. not going anywhere. I mean, they built that for, you know, serious built wars. Last, and yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anything we do now is just cosmetic. It's like putting wallpaper on there so we can. Uh, Betty know, White could have been born there. She probably was. I think she was. She left her literature there. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say someone was having sex there, but maybe someone wasn't having sex, which is why they had the the porn Mm, in the mag there. But it was in really good condition. Like, if you look at the, I think I showed you guys at the start, like, it's like, I won't say it's like brand new, but the, it's not like yellowy, like paper, like the the paper's still white. The blueprint's still crisp. The pictures Were the pages sticking together? I mean, That's what I was going to ask. Could have been that good of a sex manual. <laughs> I mean, uh, mm. uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's so that was like interesting find. I was hoping because we're gonna have to freaking gut the whole thing. So I was hoping I'd find we'd be able to keep something. So well, that's what the manual is about. You'll see, <laughs> learning how to freaking gut the whole thing. how to <laughs> how to gut it. Uh, so luck, hopefully we'll see something. We'll we'll keep that little artifact in, in the sex dungeon. So mm-hmm. I'd invite y'all there, but that's that's weird. 
Maybe we can report, record a podcast from the sex dungeon. Make sure there's not a moisture control problem <laughs> like mine. <laughs> Your sex dungeon? It's just damp. Yeah. yeah. Ew, disgusting. Get a dehumidifier in there. Damp and sticky. It's Houston. What do you expect? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Musty. All right. Like a locker room. Anything else going on? So I did see this week, um, do you know, the DNC convention was last week. DNC, uh, RNC just had theirs. So, yeah. Record yeah. number of LGBTQ plus delegates at the RNC. Just at the kidding. DNC. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember just seeing kidding. that stat with the RNC. <laughs> well, no, they're, they're all closeted. They're yeah. openly it's out. Senator Graham and his. <laughs> That's the, that was the running joke in D.C. Like when uh, anytime like the, uh, what was it, the the CPAC, the con- Christian uh, Conservative Political Action Political yeah. Action Committee, they did there. It was like, all you had to do was check Craigslist back in the day when we lived yeah. there. Uh, Before Grinder. Yeah, it was now Faceless grinder blowing up. Yeah, it was just like all of a sudden just blowing up. Yeah. And you know they have anal with their silk socks on. Their black socks on. Gross. Some (laughs) people are into that. So you said how many? 635 out of 4,700. So it's like 13%. Over 13% of the delegates were LGBT. So that means 13% of Americans are are gay now? No. No. Or still sticking with that 10% number? Mm -hmm. Our recruiting numbers are down. I know, yeah. This quarter. Well, this would say we're up if we've got 13% of delegates. I wonder if uh, the log cabin Republicans still exist. uh, Yeah, they just came out and said Trump is the most pro-gay president we've ever had. And wherever we have. Mm. (laughs) My God. Uh, Mm, that's what I, uh, anyways I don't know you guys need to vote we need we need to make sure everyone's registered to vote poor Spence can't vote because he's Canadian um so I guess you know he looks at me like you know if I got married then uh <laughs> I wouldn't have to worry about it but uh yeah that's for another topic that's for a different podcast <laughs> um get the dungeon all nice and finished first there we go uh, then, uh, yeah, but he can't. But I mean, doesn't mean you can't, right? You collectively, you guys are no, eligible to vote. I know, but four or five times. This goes back to. <laughs> <laughs> I vote in every no. runoff when there's like ninety people that show up to vote total. Yeah, Kendall just shows up to four different pol- polling places at the. No, I'm kidding. He doesn't. That's not true. Anyone? That's not true. Not FBI. Well, this year he just has to. He's just got his letters going out. You know. Q and on. That's not true. Uh, we do not show up at. Well, I signed up to be a poll worker, but not that poll worker. Showed up in the wrong outfit. That's going to be a post. I was telling Spence the other day. I'm like, we're going to do a post where I'm, you know, it's going to be be this poll worker, not that poll worker this fall. So, uh, stay tuned. You can be both. I mean, you're going to be a poll worker. Well, I applied and they never emailed me. (laughs) That's because they're like, oh, he's not 75. You applied on Craigslist and that was a different. That was a personal. Almost every poll worker I've ever known has been like. (laughs) Well, a poll smoker is the same thing, right? Pull puffer, yes, that's okay. it. Exactly, exactly. It. But uh, you can be the fluffer. You keep them engaged before they while they're Ooh, waiting a in fluffer, line. A, a, a poofer, a poof, a poker, a poker. But Whoa. yes, go register to vote. Uh, take Where the pledge that we've <laughs> talked about. Register to Below vote. Waste, mostly. Get people registered to vote. Get five people registered to vote. How easy is that to talk to five of your friends, uh, family members, and say, hey, are you registered to vote? No, here's a link well, to go find. Uh, my family members are Republicans. So. Well, I would say everybody that I know is either super politically engaged and they do vote. The ones that don't are all Republicans. So so like, don't yeah. vote. I know a lot of younger don't people uh, <laughs> that I was like, okay, so I'm like, you be- y'all better vote. Like my nephew and all his friends, I'm like, y'all need to be registered yes, to yeah. vote. Especially um, him, he needs to get on it if he just moved. Yes, so, um, so yeah. It, it, it's Tell him it's a great place to meet chicks. Is that what they call them? 
in the 1980s. Uh, <laughs> chicks. I told him that the other day. I was talking to him about some something. I was like, chicks. you need to get involved so you can find some girl. You know, you can find some girls if you're into that. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I felt like odd saying that because then I was like, oh, I've just turned some into my smoking hot uncles. babes. There you go. I don't know what do they. What they do got they some say? big cans. Anyways, uh, again, take the pledge. Register to vote. Uh, get people reg. Find people register to vote. Uh, it's only like two months and a week and yeah. a half. Uh, by the way, on the registration, the first kind of deadlines are coming up. NBC put out this cool interactive. We get something on social about it because it, it, it's, it's interactive cool. in terms of you can click on the state and see, you know, what are the by when when is early voting? When is the registration deadline? Can you do it by mail? Do you have to do it in per? Can you do it in person? Can you do it online? Which Texas is one. Of, there's only like five states where you can't really do it online, which is sad. Texas is one of them. Um, so by when the deadline to register to vote, when early voting starts, when it ends, and when, you know, obviously, uh, the voting uh, on November 3rd. So, um, so yeah, it's a good site to check out. We've sent it out on social, but it's something that, you know, if you don't know, if you have questions about, you know, what the registration deadline is, check that out. Um, but the first, like, states, I think October 4th is when, when the first wave of states uh, end registration uh, for voting. So make sure you register to vote. Get other people registered to vote. Go vote on November 3rd or vote early. I know there's a lot of concern about voting in person. Because oh, I'm voting in person. Okay. From this mailbox shenanigans. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I so. am too. And yeah. the, now we have three weeks of yeah, you can Texas, vote early. Right? If you can vote early, do that. If you're going to vote by mail, just make sure you're doing it in time. Plenty of time. Two stamps. As, yeah, two stamps as soon as you get that thing. So they've changed potentially the, the amount of... Um, the postage you need to actually mail it so watch that it's mails taking on average two weeks for some pieces i should say so make sure you mail it more than two weeks ahead of time and also uh, there's a lot of talk about mail-in voting states like texas are not offering that so don't just assume you're going to get your ballot you have to have mail. an excuse yeah yeah yeah. You, but that's absentee, like a, like which has always been the case or, yeah. some states are mailing everyone a ballot like nevada and, and trump is suing to stop that but there's been a lot of talk in the media about mail-in ballots, but it's still rare the opportunity to do that. Like yeah. Not every yeah. state can do that. So just prepare to either vote absentee, and that state has requirements of um, certain requirements of if you're even eligible to do that. But look, you're probably going to have to vote in person. Show up and do it. Just plan on it. Yeah, and if there's early voting, that's what I'm doing. Wear a beekeeper's outfit or scuba gear, yeah. whatever makes you feel. Protected. They give you normally. They give you finger. Con at least when I did uh, voted in July, it was a little finger cover and uh, a wipe. So make sure you you do all that. Um, you can use probably repurpose that for other activities. What do you think I did? If you have a sex dungeon. <laughs> um, but yeah, go register to vote. Uh, get other people to vote. Register to vote. Go vote on November 3rd or earlier. Make sure you're getting people um, to vote uh, when it's time. I mean, that's important. And you heard it all through the DNC discussion, right? Michelle Obama said it. Hillary Clinton said it. Barack Obama said it. It's not just about you. Like, get other people involved in the process. And it doesn't have to be a fight. It's just being like ed helping educate people on, especially those who don't know. Like this is a, a, a big election. They all are. Um, and uh, make sure you're you know, educating yourself on the issues and uh, the candidates because, uh, um, yeah, I mean, th there's a lot of over the last couple of years, Me Too, B Black Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter, all these things are happening. But for what purpose? Now, I mean, this is where it matters, right? The the voters booth, uh, the voter, the voter booth so making sure that you're voting for candidates boof with boof. an f as we say in louisiana yes. but i heard that's that actually there's another meaning for boof Ooh. when you um, put alcohol insert alcohol into your anus to get drunk faster it's called boofing oh, oh really boofing is uh, anal sex oh really that's what i've heard oh my god 
I'm so behind Sounds the like times. No wonder I call them. So speaking that's a, from experience, that's a different. That's a different pledge. <laughs> Where you were talking I'll about take it. condoms earlier, and weren't you talking about house condoms? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was. Well, yeah, I was talking about house house condoms, which is what I want to talk about for my topic. But before we do that, uh, let's get clean for a bit. All right, let's talk about pet clean. Uh, you can, uh, yeah. if you're wanting a, a pet a clean pet without the hassle, you can call up our friends at Aussie Pet Mobile. Packing up Fido up in the car and driving him or her, Fido's probably a him, huh? All over town for a grooming is a chore that many of us pet owners rarely enjoy doing. What if instead you could have the groomer come straight or gaily forward to you? With Aussie Pet Mobile of River Oaks, you can. Aussie Pet Mobile has spacious, custom-designed mobile units with all the luxuries of the salon. AC, heat, electricity, and water. No hookups needed, and they never use kennel dryers or harsh chemicals during the grooming process. Their vans ensure that your groomer's ability to take care of all of your pet's needs, including hair care to paw care and everything in between. They even offer special services such as de-shedding treatments, widening treatments, hair styling, hey girl, de Dead Sea mud baths, dark color enhancement treatments, and facials. Their groomers are trained and certified and will pamper your pets with a personal 100% cage-free one-on-one experience, all in the comfort of your driveway or curbside if you live in an apartment. You know what else Aussie Pet Mobile does? Those groomers are trained on? Those groomers are trained on good social distancing practices. I stole that line from uh, our spoopy. Uh, you can make your appointment today and make sure to ask about contact-free grooming services. Little Morky's gonna get a haircut, huh? A sec- I mean, she's she's had mm-hmm. a she's she's been she's been with Aussie Pet Mobile before, and she's they've done a mm-hmm. wonderful she job. She gets one tomorrow, and she's looking beautiful. Finally, gonna get one. She's you've had her in a winter coat for some time, Kendall. Oh, I love it. I'm like that mom who doesn't want their kid to get the first haircut because she looks so cute. My right neighbor. Now. Meanwhile, she, she has headlines. She has a little four-year-old, and he was, like, growing his hair out, you know, because he looks really good in long hair. And uh, so during the quarantine, like, you know, his dad didn't get a haircut, and so then mother's two ago, she went to get her hair trimmed, and then her husband went to get his hair cut, and so the little boy he was so sad he was like i want my hair cut he felt not part of the club so he got his hair chopped off and his mom cried <laughs> oh how does he look look cute he lo- he looks cute in yeah. both yeah he's like, a little he's a i've met him he's yeah yeah he looks cute good cute. in long hair he looks good in short hair yeah um but yeah she cried she's like Bleh. uh if you guys want to open up a Mo- aussie pet mobile for kids haircuts i mean let's do it why not let's do it uh that's that's a new adventure we can do. I think uh, QAnon already has those. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we can do a. Yeah. Don't get they have to be eighteen to enter. Uh, we've we've mentioned that a couple of times. Like Obviously, to be less than the president is uh, refusing to. I'm not uh, getting to denounce that. them, but uh, it's been a, a recent uh, comical thing that's been going on between the three of us outside of this. So um, I'd encourage you to I'd say do some research, but don't 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 bother with that. It's just a bunch of nonsense. Um, Speaking of some nonsense, uh, there was some nonsense that a gay group back in 1991 was uh, was up to. And nonsense, I say, from some of the news outlets. But I say it was a pretty cool prank that uh, this group ACT UP, which we talked about before, pulled on the senator from North Carolina, Jesse Helms. What they did is they put a condom on his house. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it definitely made some news. And so if you think, well, like, how big was that condom? Was it uh, magnum size? Maybe, yeah. It was it was a pretty big condom. So uh, let's talk about that. Uh, it, for what it's worth, there's a YouTube video out there that you can see their process uh, of going through this, which is kind of cool. Like I was 
when I picked the topic, I was like, oh, this would be a fun topic. And then seeing the video and then uh, the uh, the guy who organized it, he also wrote a blog, and which is where I'm taking a lot of this material from. He had a, he had a uh, write-up uh, of this event um, on the in, in memoriam of uh, uh, Senator Helms when he passed away. So he's like, oh, in memory of Senator Helms, not to disparage the, the, those that have passed, but uh, he was like, I'm going to talk about this event that uh, I proudly um, remember organizing back in 1991. So on September 5th, 1991, I said ACT UP, uh, which was, there was a subgroup called uh, TAG, and they, uh, they were the, uh, the kind of the, uh, the, the guerrilla group. So the treatment action uh, guerrillas uh, that, uh, that there was a subset of ACT UP that after this event, they actually kind of spun off on their own uh, and, and organized this event. So ACT UP, we've talked about before. Um, they are a grassroots political group that was working to end the AIDS epidemic uh, that was gutting the gay community. Uh, it was founded by Larry Kramer, uh, who we've talked about. I don't think we've talked about him as a topic, which we're going to have to do. He recently passed away, but and uh, a pioneer in the— He's the uh, one that wrote The Normal Heart? Yeah, in the yeah. gay rights Probably community. Probably the— other than Harvey Milk, the biggest pioneer ever in the gay community, I yeah. feel like. And he just passed away in May, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the normal heart play, which is probably, if you don't know of him from you know, studying history, you may have known him from the play, which was then an HBO movie, which won a lot of uh, Emmy awards. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh-oh, Tony's a love He crushing. is my crush. Wait, who? Mark Ruffalo. <gasps> he is. He's he is so He's a good actor. Hot. I love him. Uh, he also founded uh, the gay, health, uh, gay Men's Health Crisis, who mm-hmm. we've talked about on social, which is how we found out about the nurses on the inside, right? That book, because they were involved in that. Because that was a group, much like ACT UP, early days focusing on supporting the AIDS crisis. They knew a lot of stuff was going on, and of course the government wasn't doing anything. Uh, and uh, you know, one of the reasons the government wasn't doing anything is because Republicans were in charge at the time, or at least the Reagan administration was in charge at the time. And then you had senators like Senator Helms. who Not that Democrats were really pushing pushing to do much. Right. It, it wasn't. Except Nancy it was Pelosi poli- was. Nancy Pelosi was the number one advocate um, mm-hmm. I'm getting aroused. Talking about <laughs> you right. are. Wow, you too. He's like, give me Nancy Pee's pizza. Like, we don't need even need <laughs> any vi- Viagra. Tonight. Oh yeah, Kendall's like, gonna start a restaurant. Talk, Nancy Pee's pizza. <laughs> talked about Mark Ruffalo and uh, uh, and Nancy Pelosi, and all of a sudden these guys have been. That's been our upset. episode. Thank you. <laughs> We're gonna like double date. <laughs> they need they Kendall need to and Nancy. Take Mark a cold shower. <laughs> it's like get, put some more ice in those margaritas. <laughs> um, act up. We know them also from the events that they, like some of the, the stage events that they've done. Uh, like they waited Wall Street, they raided the New York Stock Exchange, they protested outside of Cosmo, the CDC. I think they organized. You talked about San Francisco Bridge um, protests. Yeah. Shut, they've done a lot of things where they've gotten really visible, either raiding, not in a violent sense, but kind of drawing attention to certain events, again shutting down traffic in certain areas. Um, we know them from the sign, the the pink tri- the black background with the pink triangle, silence equals death. That is ACT UP, right? Um, so a very, uh, I think we've said on a previous episode, because um, we talked about them when they, uh, back in June, uh, when they were part of the, the, the yell down of George H.W. Bush's health and human uh, uh, health secretary. They had an AIDS conference, right, uh, that was held, and uh, George W. Bush decided not to go, or George H.W. Bush decided not to go to this conference because he was... Uh, attending Senator Helms's uh, political fundraiser. He sent a, uh, one of his lackeys and then ACT UP basically shouted this guy down. So they have this um, 
record of disrupting. And so at this point, they targeted Senator Helms. Um, so this was a year after they shouted down uh, the Health and, Human, Health, Health and Human Services Secretary of George H.W. Bush in June 1990. A year, over a year later, they decided it was time to target Senator Helms because um, he was, while you know, other people, other politicians were silent uh, in terms of supporting the AIDS crisis or not as vocal, he was definitely a vocal uh, opponent of anything related to gay rights, um, civil rights for that matter as mm. well, uh, and then um, uh, supporting the, the AIDS crisis. Um, of course, again, we've, we've talked about Helms before, but he was a hardline conservative. Um, and, you know, for the, white, the right wing, he was a hero. They celebrated him because mm-hmm. of his old ways. I mean, truth be told, because this is a, a fun little talking line of, of the Republicans, there's like, you know, uh, it was the Democrats that started the KKK. He was part of the uh, Democratic Party originally um, when he started politics. And then in the 70s, he, he flipped over to the Republican Party. Um, he called himself, uh, you know, simple. Uh, he was a redneck. He didn't understand abstract art, which is really kind of, I wouldn't say this is what started his, his thing against the LGBTQ community, but uh, we've talked about him. We haven't done a, a specific topic about him, but Robert, Robert Ma- uh, Maplethorpe, um, you know, his art was very controversial, featured um, like BDSM type of things, uh, a large, uh, you know, focusing on, on gay men. And uh, he found it offensive. So when the, the they were trying to um, the National Endowment of Arts was trying to fund uh, some of their art projects, Robert Mal- Maplethorpe's uh, work was part of that. And he was like, "No, no, this is this is offensive. This is not what our country and our taxpayer our, you know our taxpayer dollars should be going for." Um, so he was against things like that. He was against uh, AIDS funding. Um, he blamed the disease on the unnatural and disgusting homosexual behavior. He said it's all rooted in, in, in a sodomy and the, the disgusting ways of, of gay people. Um, he's the one for, and we don't have it anymore, thankfully, um, because of the, um, because there was a, uh, a change in the Obama administration, but the, the, the ban on people with HIV from traveling to the U S like mm-hmm. he, he was the one who was championing that. So there's a lot of reasons not to, which like, makes me think he was gay. Yeah, he hated you, him so. Yeah, why would you his legacy him? is known for being the most anti-gay politician, wow, mate, vocally ever. Because politicians weren't really talking about gay people until I'd say seventies, eighties, and especially in the eighties because you mm-hmm. had AIDS. But yeah. because Ronald Reagan ran as you know ending San Francisco, they're the yeah. ones that invented the whole San Francisco style politics. Because even it seems like in the 60s when they were trying to root all the gay people out of the federal government, they did it covertly. It wasn't like they were, you know, vocal about it. It was like very with the FBI, like under the scenes. They weren't making campaign issues. Yeah, exactly. But he was also very much a racist. Like when he got his start uh, in in, uh, politics, it was in the 50s and he was. Uh, or 40s or 50s, he was uh, working for some senator in North Carolina. That campaign won because of some um, uh, uh, effort they put out. So they put out um, flyers of the opponent's wife dancing with a black man. And so that was just, you know, it was like, how dare this white woman dance mm. with a black man? Like the governor, I think it was the, the senator's wife was uh, dancing with a black man. And then when he, in the 90s, when he was running, uh, for Senate running for re-election, he uh, put out flyers or a commercial of like the white hands and saying, "Oh, these your job's going to be taken away by uh, unqualified minority." So not only was he a homophobe, he was also a freaking racist. He also in that same 1990 campaign um, 
started a whisper campaign that his opponent was gay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Now, people will say, oh, he was a good guy because he adopted a disabled child. Uh, and then, you know, in the in the latter part of his senatorial career, he was um, he was uh, supporting AIDS uh, research and funding, although it was for only homosexual, like when he still wouldn't come out in favor of the LGBTQ community community so people were not uh, having any of it especially act up because they were starting they, they had enough runs and wins on the board that they're like okay now it's time to come after this guy you know everyone was bothered by senator helms but no one kind of got in his face and peter staley said it's time to get in his face about his homophobic and anti-aids rhetoric and so they they viewed him um you know, as someone who is not just uh, a bad politician, but they're like, this guy's trying to kill people with AIDS. Jesse Helms, this group that put on this stunt, they're like, he's the devil. He's ensuring the continuance of the AIDS epidemic. He filibusters AIDS research, and he's gutted the uh, funding for AIDS research. He, he's voted against providing, the at the time, which was the, the popular uh, treatment, the AZT treatment to AIDS patients, and he's anti-abortion, which, uh, you know, the, the argument there was, you know, people suffering with HIV, women suffering with HIV, they, they may have wanted to not have a child with HIV because there was a lot of unknowns, and so he wouldn't let them do that either. So they were like, we're fed up with this. And so uh, they decided, we're going to take him on. And they weren't going to do anything violent, but they figured humor, uh, much like the gay, us gays like to do, they're like, we'll come at it with some, some biting humor. So they figured if we can make fun of him and make him look like a fool and have other people laugh at him, this will be a, a fun way to draw attention to our cause. And so Peter Staley, he planned uh, this, this event. Uh, he, he wasn't sure how to do it, but he's like, well, let me ask some help. So he talked to a guy from Greenpeace, a uh, man by na the name of Tw um, Twiley Cannon, uh, who was known for tactics of like putting big signs on bridges and sorts of, uh, sorts of stuff. And he said, hey, do you think this could happen? He's like, I have this idea of putting a condom on Senator Helms' house. He's like, yeah, I think we could do it. We can, we can make it work. He's like, but can we do it in less than five minutes? He's like, not a problem. So he went through this, what I'll call a 10-step process. Step one was finding the address. Um, the way uh, Staley describes it, he's like, uh, we had to we had to figure out where this guy lived if we wanted to do it. So he's like, you know, we have this uh, undercover gay spy network. He's like, whether you know it or not, we have it. Uh, he's like, so I called up family. Well, that's what Elton John in that Will and Grace episode called. Yeah. The Velvet Mafia. Yes. Yes. So he's like, we have this little uh, this little thing, whether you know it or not. And he's like, so I called up some family in the the, the Hart Senate office and got got the address. And so. Step one was check, find the address. And they realized it was this. Uh, it was funny watching the YouTube video because they flashed the sign of Glebe Road. So it was on South Glebe Road, which is in Arlington, Virginia. Looking at you, Kendall, because I'm like, we would see that sign often. Okay. Um, step two was find the home. So he got the address and go find the home. Uh, so he drove to the house, took a picture of it. Uh, and then he worked with... Um, with uh, Cannon from the Greens, uh, Greens, uh, Greenpeace group and said... Twiley. Uh, Twiley. My he new said, favorite name. <laughs> he said, all right, here's the picture. And so they sized it to scale. They're like, okay, on a typical home like this, uh, this, you know, it's a, the, the door is typically 80 inches, so let's use that and then let's scale it and so that we can start to plan this event. So they, then step three was uh, was building out the specs. So if, like we know how, what the front door is, we can build, you know, figure mm -hmm. out the rest of the size of the house uh, and we can figure out how to... Uh, 
how to how to make it work, how to put this thing on the front of the house, which is what they wanted to do. Step four was then to get a bid. So they went all you know formal and said, okay, we're trying to, the way they disguised it, because they didn't, we're going to say, hey, we're putting this big balloon in front of a, a senator's um, home. They're like, we're doing this AIDS benefit and we want to put this balloon. So can you, can you tell us, uh, you know, what, what you would charge us for building this, this big, big balloon. Uh, and so, uh, so they went out to, if you think about it, like who does these sorts of like big balloon type things that you can put in front of someone's house, like these car dealerships, right? So they went to these car dealerships on the West Coast to try not to draw any attention. And, and, and now they're at every gender reveal party. Right. <laughs> full of poisonous <laughs> balloons. Powder. Uh, yes, uh, and harming the environment. So they got some bids, uh, and then he's like, all right, now I've got an idea. I know how much it's going to cost to do this. Now I need a team because he couldn't do it on his own. So he, he recruited seven people within ACT UP, uh, and they joined on this mission. Uh, the next step was then to practice. So they brought they went to the treasurer of ACT UP. He had a country home. Uh, and so they went to his, his, his lots, his big you know, acres of land, and practiced practice the thing so they they while the home wasn't the same size they were like okay well here's what we need to do so they sketched out plans in terms of how they were going to orchestrate this i think about it in terms of like uh oceans 11 type planning like they drew the sketch they drew the house they figured out how it was going to make it work and so um then they painted a sign so one of the things that was noted on this balloon there was a sign that said uh, a condom to stop unsafe politics helms is deadlier than a virus and so they were really trying to again draw the point that Helms was was you know the the evildoer of this whole thing. Uh, the next step was they did a dry run. So they didn't want him to be there because they weren't trying to like scare him, and they didn't want the FBI coming after them for you know, giving this guy potentially a heart attack. And so they went the night before and actually rang the doorbell to ensure he wasn't home. But they they had they had already confirmed that he was going to be on on holiday. So the next step, step nine, they called the press. They called CNN. They called the local oh. press. You know, think about Washington Post. So that's you know, big, big names, big press outlets there. Uh, said we're going to do this. Meet us at our hotel and uh, on the the morning of the fifth, and follow us. And so the press met them there. Um, now I said they practiced, but they'd never actually executed the whole thing on you know on the actual property. So there was a lot of discussion. I mean, they had talked it to death, but they were like. We don't know how this is going to go. So then they came down to executing this this stunt. So they had to pull off ladders. They had two ladders. One of the ladders was 28 feet, like an extension. This is a two-story home. Uh, they had uh, portable generators, long extension cords, rubber uh, mallets, two blowers, and this huge wow. parachute. Basically, that's two what it blower, was. Only two blowers and a group of gay guys? Hey, you know, some, there was a couple girls in there. They're group. good, I'll tell you that. Uh, and so this, this basically, so this it wasn't a balloon. It was a, more of a, like a parachute material that they were going to. Uh, I mean, it was a balloon in the sense that they had to blow it up. But uh, they, they, so then they took all this stuff. They had to carry it on top of that second story of the house. Uh, and from there, they got on top of the house, they unfurled the, the, the balloon on the roof, connected the blowers, and then started. And then it slowly started to, to rise. And so this full idea that had been going on for months uh, starts to happen. So they got this balloon blowing up in front of the senator's house in you know, Arlington, Virginia. And, you know, of course... You know, if you're a senator in this nice part of Virginia, which, by the way, Northern Virginia is like one of the richest yeah. part of the countries. So if you're you're doing this, you can imagine the neighbors aren't happy. And plus, right. you're making a lot of noise. So um, they're blowing it, and they're they're like, our only objective was like to get it to a point that you could really see the sign of, of talking about Senator Helms uh, before the police come. They knew the police were going to come, but they were trying to be in and out. 
Um, this thing starts to rise. It's a 15-foot you know, replica, nylon replica of a condom. Uh, it's blown up, and um, it stayed up for about 15 to 20 minutes, which is longer than I could stay up. Hey, hello. <laughs> Without a blue pill. No, no just kidding. Poor yours takes three blowers, typically. <laughs> Well, for find, 15 minutes, you can yes. find three left. I don't even. Already. <laughs> <laughs> Not <laughs> in Houston, you can't. Uh, depending on which, uh, never mind. Uh, yeah, so f- at last the police show up, party poovers. Uh, they showed up about after seven minutes. Uh, they had a discussion with the team. They were like, hey, you guys, what are you doing? One of the neighbors was like, this is private property, and so Senator Helms didn't disrupt you. Uh, finally, they they pulled the plug on the on the operation. Police didn't arrest anyone. They like, just pack this thing up. That was nice of them. Done. Yeah, that's, you know, that all That wouldn't people. happen today, I'll tell no, you what. They would, they there. would. They were all white people. Oh, well. <laughs> well, it is good to have a condom when you're told to um, pack your shit. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's <laughs> why so you just rub it off. <laughs> Anyways, uh, no one was arrested. There were no pending charges. You know, they were trying to get a, the police officer who was interviewed. Like, you know, these guys were trying to get a little publicity. They got it. Trying to get um, a rise out of it. You know, one of the statements <laughs> they, they made was like, hey, you mess with, you mess with us? you're going to wake up with an, one morning with a condom on your house. So they were really trying to prove their point. They're saying, hey, look, we're not going to take this anymore. We're not going to take this lying down or bend over or, you know, sideways. Hello. Uh, all the jokes. Any you know. way you I want. wrote all these in my notes. Hang <laughs> on, <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> uh, it was on that magazine you found under your house. Yes. Uh, so they were like, you know, we're, we're really, I mean, they were trying to act up as the, their purpose is to disrupt. What I liked about ACT UP, though, is not only were they disruptors, but they also knew there was a, had to be a legislative plan to it as well. Um, the reaction, they got the attention they want. Uh, Washington Post reported on a few weeks later, it was not favorable. Whoever was writing it was like, these guys are amateurs. They were throwing tantrums. This amounts to publicity. You know, this amount, yes, you get some publicity, but you get more opposition. You know, nothing but a bunch of finger wavers. Um, you know, Which has gay undertones. Hello. The way that's... I don't mean to finger finger <laughs> waver, but the the way it's written, it always reminds me of stuff like that. When you you read the subtleties that are not so subtle about kind of basically using gay stereotypes, the article in the New York Times after Stonewall said the um, queen bees are stinging mad. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> in the village. How do you know a gay man didn't write that though? That seems like a. I mean, I feel I feel like no straight man would would have written that. Like would have been that queen cheeky. Bees. Queen bees. Uh, you know, this WAPO writer was like, hey, you know, they should be more like the guy from the Reagan administration, the the Surgeon General. You know, he, you know, he was effective. He spent five years where no one would listen to him. But he was able to release a report five years later in 1986. And, you know, he talked about, you know, the, the this these recommendations. I'm like, dude, like nothing freaking changed. By, yeah, I yeah. mean, this guy, he... He talked for five years to the Reagan administration, the Surgeon General, like, hey, this is a crisis. We need to do something. And no one wanted to listen to him for five years. Meanwhile, thousands of people died. And you're like, that's an effective strategy. We're not talking about, like, uh, a stop sign. That would never happen again. Whatever. (laughs) Well, it continues to happen, which is the sad thing. Uh, But it's like, you know, it's this is not a stop sign in a neighborhood. This is uh, trying trying to find a treatment and educate people on an AIDS virus that's killing a community. And yeah. they're like, oh, just be more effective. You know, he was trying to say, which I get. You know, we got to be you know, coalition builders. We got to you know persuade people. In the end, that's what matters. Look, I. But sometimes uh, you need to. I don't know. I, I do feel you need protesters. <laughs> yeah, you need to act up. Like, well, John Lewis. You need to raise awareness. Said. It, Cause the good type of trouble. 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's since he just died, that's all over the news, and it's already become like an iconic statement. And it's true. Sometimes breaking the law is okay. Well, why is this law even written? Yeah, right. I mean, these guys weren't rioting, right? Which I I, I distinguish. I I get why there's a a time to riot immediately after an event, and I'm not advocating for it, but I understand why people can get to a point where they do that. I I wouldn't do it, but I understand why. But but, but also the it doesn't it people don't typically or always go out and say we're here to riot. What we've noticed with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor protests is that they go out to protest peacefully. And the police reaction to their Thank you, frustration is uh, not innocent, you know, and forces them to be. Yeah. And sometimes at, they at just times. get pushed to the or encouraged. Limit. Whatever you want. Yeah. And, and guess my, my point is like there is a like the, this approach was a one that I would have been read in 1991. But like, this is funny. Like this is they didn't do anything wrong. Yes, they br- were trespassing on, on the senator's uh, um uh, property, but you know, it was it was a fun joke. No one got harmed. There was no trying, yeah. but there is a point where it's like you can do all these things, but for what purpose? What are you trying to prove? And so, unless you got the legislative angle as well, then these events are fun, but they're not going to get they're going to get you some attention, but they're not going to uh, win. Actually, I, I'll say this, and I'll, I'll cap it off with this: the the as I read the the the, WAP, the Washington Post like write up on this, I was like, because I tend to be one like. You know, I don't agree with all this, like, marching for what? Like, I get it, but what does it get you in the long run? You, you get everyone rallied, but are all these people registered? I mean, you should right, also yeah, be yeah, there registering right. everyone to vote, right, uh, and getting them to vote, right? So that, that to me, is the, the end game. Um, but this guy was like, the writer of this article was just kind of like, well, you know, this is the wrong way to do it. And, you know, these, these, you get more harm than people that would have been on your side are now against you because you did something like you did something distasteful to the senators, um, uh, home. Right. And so I guess the thing that, you know, cause I have the same sense, like we, we, you know, we can turn people off by trying to be this disruptive but I don't know if those people were ever on our side anyways. And I say this because I'm starting to look at Facebook feeds of people that are friends of mine on Facebook that I respect. And I'm like, I don't know if you're on my side. Like you're the fact that you put up Trump stuff, like you're not on my side, right? You don't, no. you know, you say you're my friend and you like this and you're like, Oh, proud of my accomplishments, but you're not a friend of mine. You're voting against my rights, human right? Rights, my yeah. human rights. And so, um, so I don't know if those people that I'm trying to like, keep friendly i don't i don't know if they're they're not voting for me because if you're not out advocating and holding hands with me and waving them in the air saying yeah i got your back then uh a like or a smile or a pat on the back is not doing me any favors right yeah and it's not to say i'm gonna defriend p or um, de- what's the right term okay. unfriend people uh but it's just one of those things that i'm like oh this is this is real because I had the privilege in my 20s when I was living as a straight man, bisexual, thought I was going to go that route to be like, yeah, okay, um, you know, that that's fine. Like we, not that I, I did, but it's like still voting for pro-equality, whether it was race or LGBTQ, but these folks were never on my side to begin with, which is kind of one of those things that it's just kind of, no. oh, we were friends, but you've never been on my side. You would always vote against me, whether I'm, gay or Hispanic like and the thing is I know people that are the same race and same sexual orientation as me that are also voting for Trump that is just quite disturbing but whatever I don't know um a little bit of rambling there but uh, to me it was a 
a fun event. Like uh, reading this uh, this thing, it, it I thought it was pertinent just kind of to whatever's going on in terms of how we can draw attention to the, not that I'm advocating doing this, but there's different ways to draw attention to the cause. Yeah, but again, that's right. it's a, yeah. it's a one, two punch. You can do fun things like that. You right. Can draw but attention. I do think it takes everything and it's like, yeah, you, it's not one thing. Yeah. And someone and the protest, uh, even if you're not talking about silly protests like that, it's more than just, okay, but are you changing legislation? It takes that to change legislation because it, it puts pressure on politicians. Yeah. It focuses it puts yeah. media and attention. It, yeah, and it raises awareness to society. But I don't and, know. Like and the, it rallies people that agree with you. I don't in y- yes. I just again I go back to me too and I go back to uh, Black Lives Matter. Like where are the politicians that you're endorsing for this moment? Um, I mean we've got big election again and it's not for Black Lives Matter it's not just about the president, right? It's about the DA, it's a uh, district attorney, yeah, yeah. it's about the city council members, it's about the, the mayors. Like, so what are you doing? Like, what, who are you supporting? And that's what's not clear. Maybe it's there. Maybe I just haven't researched it. Is it is there. But it's like the, the one we talked about, I think, last week. The girl that... Um, oh, the in woman St. Louis. That, yeah, a protester activist, Black Lives Matter activist. And she unseated in the primary someone whose family had held that seat. Yeah, he um, and his father had since the 40s or the 60s. Yeah, 50 or or 60 years because she was more responsive to the anger and the protest within her community. Which is good, but I'm like, where's the slate of people? Like, where's the, I don't want to say political action committee, but where's the group? Like, it's great that you have, you've collected all these people to support your cause, right? Right. Uh, Yeah, and and you do need both. They should be. What's the next level? Yeah. Because to me, I'm, I'm not disparaging it. I'm just like, Let's. I mean, tell me where I need to go, and I'm gonna be on your side. Uh, I'm, I'm an not ally. sure if they're not doing that though. But what happens was, I mean, most people don't even know that Black Lives Matter is an actual organization. organization. Yeah. They think it's like Antifa. That's a concept. Well, and like we can all agree with that. So, the one good thing is that the message of Black Lives Matter has probably outgrown even the original organizers that created it. It's bigger than that. It's a concept that we can all most of us understand um, to where, yeah, if they're endorsing people, we might not know because it's drowned out in the message of, okay, we want every candidate. Do you support Black Lives Matter or not? Right. And I don't, like I said, I don't see it as a, as a, as a something that's there. Like I, uh, and I don't know if they're related, but like with me too, right. There's a group called Emily's list. I, I never donated to Emily's list, but they've found a way to tap, into people that I have supported and they're getting my information from them and I get emails from them daily. My, my point is I don't see the equivalent of that happening from the Black Lives Matter movement that I'm like, okay, who should I be supporting yeah. to support what you are aligned with? And that's, again, it, it, it's, it's one of those things that the, the events, the protests are great. They're drawing attention to the cause. But if you don't have something to put in front of a politician to be like, hey, here's what Black Lives Matter means. It, it's, here's what defund the police means. It doesn't mean pull all the money out, right? From yeah. police, but it means these action items. Those are the things that uh, that they need. This is why a Black Lives Matter or an ACT UP, even who who I think was politically organized as well. They didn't just put on stunts. They 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 get or or even um, what was it the. Uh, Malcolm X, uh, the Black Panthers, like it was very, I mean, they were political, they, they had, I think, more political organization, but it's, it's just those, they, they kind of fade out because you don't have the, the organization. The NAACP has 
been around for all these years yeah. because they have um, they've organized in a, in a in a way that uh, is working to, on the politicians that are enacting legislation. So that's my point. It's important to be organized and go vote. True. All right. So I'm actually going to talk about a much lighter topic. I'm going to talk about uh, Lily Tomlin and love her. If y'all haven't noticed, I'm on like my several week run of like talking about lesbians. So like I also you, had a Q-tip dream. It's like you have a thing. <laughs> you had a what? Q-tip dream. Oh, <laughs> gosh. No, we're not going to talk about that again. No, of course not. So Lily Tomlin, she was born this week, September 1st, 1939. Um, actor, comedian, writer, uh, lesbian, uh, feminist. So the reason I wanted to talk about her, two reasons. You know, naturally I've seen a lot of her movies, love her. I didn't really know a lot about her. What was your favorite? Nine to Five and Big Business. Big my Business two was mine, yeah. Yeah, it was cute. I liked it. Um, Nine to Five. Was she in anything else? I don't remember. Uh, the, oh, another one. The Incredible Shrinking Woman was really, really good. Dudley. Okay. What'd you say? Wasn't she like... Uh, no, Dudley Moore was the name of... The, he was the actor. Wasn't he was not the, a lesbian. He had a lesbian haircut. Yeah, he, he did. did have a lesbian but haircut. He, he was uh, in a movie with her, I thought. Oh, maybe. She was in it. She was in it. So like she dude. basically... From the early to mid-70s through, I mean, just a few years. I mean, she's been in a ton of films, TV, Broadway. Um, so I want to talk about her for two reasons. One, I didn't know a lot about her other than... And you're coming out as a lesbian. Yes. And, oh, I've always been a lesbian. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, lesbian. Have you seen the car he drives? Yeah, exactly. My whole lifestyle. Super Outback. Shorts, shorts and a t-shirt all the time. Bike rack on <laughs> Cargo shorts. Yeah, exactly. Cargo shorts. I do not have cargo shorts. Um, but I, I wish also I did with all the move. Like I <laughs> like with, when you're moving and having to do like all this like work in your house. Like cargo shorts are amazing. And I'm gonna tell you right now, you need to have a lesbian because every time I have like people over, like I'll have Gloria or Amy. You need a pocket knife. They yeah. got it. You need a beer opener. They got it. Yeah, they got I everything want, right I there. I want that. I want that in my life. Okay. So I actually did not know um, Lily Tomlin was a lesbian until. A few years ago, I was reading a book about Ann Richards, and you know, when Ann Richards was running for governor, Lily Tomlin, she's very feminist, so she did a lot of fundraising for her, and so of course, everyone painted as, oh, Ann, Le Ann Richards is a secret lesbian, blah, 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 but that's, so did you Ann Richards, I've known for about 10 years, but I think I read that book too, so Ann Richards was the governor of Texas, Yep. Um, icon, love that woman. But she had a famous line in the 1988. She had lots of them, but one of them in the 1980 convention. Um, Fred Astaire did everything. But she still Ginger did Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did. She just did it back. She back. credited that line to um, Lily Tomlin's partner. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. who, who, oh. But who said that? Was it her originally? Someone said that, but yeah. She just did it backwards. No, I, was at cre I, I always gave credit to Ann Richards, and then I looked it up, and I was like, no, it wasn't her who said it. It was someone else. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So maybe it was, you're saying Kendall was Lily Tomlin's That's what she credited partner. in her book, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's how I, I didn't know she was a lesbian. So that's kind of why I wanted to talk about her. So I guess before we get into her being a lesbian and feminist. Um, so she was born and raised in Detroit. Her parents were actually from Kentucky. They moved to Detroit during the Depression so that her father could find work. But they were very uh, devout Southern Baptists, like very, you know, fundamentalist. Um, she actually, in college, originally majored in biology, and she had never, you know, acted or whatever, and she auditioned for a play in college, and it really sparked her interest, mm. and so it made her change her major, 
and that's when she you know got into acting. So she originally did stand up in Detroit when she graduated college, and then um, moved to New York to do stand up. She did that there for a while, and while she was there, she uh, studied. There's this HB studio that's kind of a nonprofit. Uh, they do like theater workshops and stuff. So she uh, did a lot of work, uh, took a lot of classes and stuff there. So she did a few TV appearances here and there, but she really kind of um, became well-known when she was on the Rowan and Martin Laughing Show, where she did all these skits. And that's where she was um, Ernestine, the telephone operator. Yeah. And she had about seven or eight different characters. She had like a little girl that she acted. And the she, giant rocking chair. Yeah, 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 and the giant rocking chair. She did, um, she was a suburban housewife. She was kind of this stuck-up, prissy, prude lady, but she had about seven or eight characters. So the original Kate McKinnon. Yeah. F to put it in, in kids' Yeah, because that show was like the precursor to Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live, yeah. Yeah, so it was all skits. Things Kate like McKinnon, that. she's an SNL actress, I know Tony. <laughs> I was trying to appeal to the younger gen, but Amy I'm like, Poehler. she's going to play Carol Baskin in a series. Is she about, really? Yep, the Tiger King. Killing her husband. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, that's how she kind of got her start on television. Um, she was one of the first female comedians to impersonate a male, so she did drag on that show a couple of times, impersonating male characters. She actually did recordings of these characters. So she did them on the show, but then she would, like, record LPs. And uh, she would write, like, she would work with writers to write her own stuff and things like that. Um, so she got her start in movies in the mid-1970s. Her first big hit was Nashville. Um, I think it was her first movie ever, and she was actually nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. All right, Lily Tomlin. Come yeah. on, Lily. Um, and so she did you know, several movies throughout her career. Uh, we talked about 9 to 5. She's very famous for that, which, as we all know, is a feminist movie. In we the might movies. have to do a whole topic. Uh, Tony, I'll leave it to you, because that's your movie. That's your life. That I love is, that movie. That is yeah, your yeah. movie, huh? Yeah. Um, and actually, so, you know, we'll get into it later, but she's always just been very, especially when she was younger, she said, I only did parts that I kind of fundamentally agreed with my character. Um, and she said, the older you get, you kind of got to, you know. Take what you can get. Well, compromise a little way. bit because if you want a good part down the road, you got to take, you know. But anyways, in 2015, uh, she did a movie called Grandma where she is a lesbian and her granddaughter comes to her and says, I need an abortion, I need money. And she said, let's raise money. So she helped her granddaughter raise a money for an abortion. GoFundMe for an abortion. Yeah. So um, but she, they did it by phoning a bunch of friends and family and whatever. But uh, I feel, I feel, wasn't she nominated for, was it an Emmy or Academy Award for that? I thought she may have been. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, uh, I don't follow pop culture. For but a lesbian like Emmy. doing my research, it was, uh, mentioned fairly often yes. the movie grandma so she's not afraid to do anything edgy and so you know nine to five that was jane fonda's idea she wanted to do a movie wait lesbians do edging too of course if they have fingernails <laughs> <laughs> but jane fonda wanted to do a movie with that concept about you know how unfair the workplace was to women and how sexist it was and she specifically wanted Lily Tomlin to work with her. And when she originally started working on it with writers, um, it was just everything they were doing was serious and it was preachy and she didn't like it. And it was when Lily Tomlin got involved that it became comedy. And, you know, she kind of and now I feel like, you know, a lot of people probably watch that. And even if they weren't feminists are like, OK, you know, I can watch this movie because it's, you know, funny. Um, 
She did Broadway her whole career, so starting in the 70s through the two th- late 2000s. Um, she was the first woman to do a one-woman show on Broadway, which is uh, pretty interesting. That was in 1977. It's called Appearing Nightly. Uh, she did a ton of TV over the years, um, guest appearances on really famous shows, Murphy Brown, X-Files, Will & Grace, West Wing. I wasn't that impressed with her, her, her portrayal of... Um was it Marco? I think uh, on Will and Grace. Oh, I liked it. I loved it. So who was she? Who was she on? She was, was uh, really good. She was Will's boss. She was uh, on a couple crazy. episodes. Oh, okay. Yeah, but she was a high-powered woman uh, married to <laughs> an old man uh, who she was in an open relationship with, and mm. uh, yeah, but she was the head of the law firm. But it was just and I she slept with women or men in her open relationship. Uh, with men. men. Yeah, but okay. she, she Margot was her name. Oh, that's a very. I thought she was great. It was good episodes. I it just I was like expecting more of her. She was really good in Damages. That's a TV show. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about her in Damages. Yeah, she was in Damages. She was. The, I mean, I listed those because those are the ones I like. She has been. We yeah, list them all. <laughs> we'd be here all night. Her full. Uh, yeah. IMDb. So the BD? reason I wanted to talk about her tonight was she is a lesbian, and I thought, how did I not? Because. Even, you know, like growing up, my mom, she was all into like, you know, she would read all the tabloids and she would always like talk about, you know, the gossip about everything. And I thought, God, I never once heard her mention like Lily Tomlin being a lesbian. I thought, how did she kind of fly under the radar or whatever? So she actually met her wife, Jane Wagner. They were married in uh, 2013, but um, she met her in 1971. So when she was doing one of these albums of her skit characters, uh, she had come across uh, Jane's writing in some of their, you know, she had seen something that Jane had written and she thought, oh my God, that's really good. So she called her and said, hey, will you work, um, collaborate with me on one of my albums? And she said, sure, I'll fly to Hollywood. You know, we can like work on this thing together. And it was kind of love at first sight. Uh, You know, they'd been together ever since. Um, But she said, you know, all of my friends knew that I was lesbian. They knew about Jane. Everybody in industry knew that I was lesbian. They knew about Jane. But she said at the time, um, you know, the press was very respectful. If you didn't, like, publicly announce it, you know, through a press agent or something, they never really hounded you about it. And, you know, if, if she did an interview, she would always mention Jane. And sometimes the reporters would, you know... Uh, not really write about it because they weren't sure what to do. Some, when they wrote, they said, oh, her collaborator, Jane Wagner, things like that. Um, So it's kind of interesting. In 1975, Time actually offered to put her on the cover, uh, you know, if if she came out. And she didn't because she she didn't even think about it. She said, no, I'm not going to do that uh, for two reasons. One... The way they approached her, and they kind of approached her with, oh, you're this big star now. You just had Nashville. You're up for Academy Award. We want to put you on the cover of Time, but, you know, we need to talk about you being a lesbian. And she said, no. And her thing was, they didn't want me because of my personal story. They just wanted any gay person. Which they got Leonard Matlevich, who we talked about yeah, like, yeah. Um, around that time. They were looking for a gay person. Yeah. And, and every time I read about... Leonard Matlevich's story, it's usually him being on the cover of Time. It's Lily Tomlin was asked first to, because she was famous, right? Yeah, no yeah. one knew who Leonard yeah. Matlevich was. And she was, was kind of, up, and so that was also, that was a big deal for her to say no, right? Because you're up and coming. You just got your first big movie. You'd only been on the, you know, uh, the TV show for a few years. Um, and so she said, and she also said, I really thought it would derail my career. Mm-hmm. 
And she says, you know, Ellen did it over 20 years later and look at the rocky road she had. So yep. she said, I think I made the right decision. Um, <laughs> QAnon would have been coming after <laughs> Lillian. So that exactly. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. So she thought, you know, that would have been. Um, but one of the reasons she she never hid her sexuality and never hid her wife. But the reason she wasn't, you know, so out there was because out of respect for her mom. So her mom was she loved her mom. And she said she was this great lady, but she said it would have killed her if I, you know, if she knew I was gay or was public about it. And so um, uh, she kind of did that out of respect for her. Surprisingly, she also had a brother that was gay, but her brother lived in the same hometown in Michigan as her mom his whole life. Was he out? He was out, and he had a um, he had a partner. And when the mom passed away, he, he had been with his partner for 10 years. It was kind of like – so she had met uh, Jane several times, loved Jane – uh, but it was just kind of don't ask, don't tell. Like, I know you, every time you come here, you're, it's with How's this your woman. Friend? Yeah, collaborator. Your roommate. Yeah. yeah. So um, it is funny, though, because, you know, she did have to deal with this over the years. And so there was an example where she was on Johnny Carson in the 70s. And, uh, you know, he was like, he brought it up. He goes, so, you know, you're unmarried. You don't have any kids. Do you like being unmarried with no kids? Like, what's that all about? And she said, you know, I just... Never really had the desire to have kids, you know, and he kind of fell awkwardly silent. The whole audience did because it's like in those days as a woman, you have kids. You Even know? 20 years later, on a side note, Spence has been loving watching Supermark- uh, Supermarket Sweep, yeah. which is an old oh, yeah. show, from, which is on, on, on yeah, Netflix, Netflix or something. Yeah. Like. Uh, but if you listen to all the women contestants, they all talk about like, oh, I'm a, like, I'm a secretary and I'm a mom of three. Mm-hmm. Like they all say, and that was to, the '90s, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So 20 years later, yeah. they all it was it almost felt. And like so she said, when I said, you know, I've really never had a desire to have um, kids. She said the whole audience fell silent. He looked awkward and silent, and she goes, "Well, yeah." She said, "I just never have." But she says, "Speaking of kids, Johnny," she goes, "Now who has custody of yours?" <laughs> and he Good said, for "Her." He said, "Touche," and he changed the subject. Never, never. She was well, never was invited for being a jerk. So was she ever invited back? I don't know if she was or not, <laughs> but he said, "Touche." Because he's I was about to say he would do something like that to not invite her back. Yeah, he was on there a lot. When Joan Rivers guest hosted, she was on there as. Uh, Erlene, what's the one where she's the Ernestine? Operator? Ernestine, Ernestine yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she did the house good. Um, so she also, she's very an, an outspoken feminist, and she is extremely vocal, and she always has been about women are not equal in Hollywood. They have these demeaning roles. They have these roles that perpetuate stereotypes. They don't make the money, no matter what the idea they have. If a man has it, it gets traction. If a woman has it, like. She said, I've had great ideas over the years. Several women writers I know have great ideas. Zero. The, shortly thereafter, when it gets talked about, a man has an idea, boom, it takes off. So she's been very vocal. Um, she did say she, she's always tried to like, not always, but in general, she's tried to do roles that she agrees with the character and the way it portrays women. And, uh, you know, she said, when I was younger, if I started reading a script and it wasn't exactly what I thought, how it should portray women, immediately in the trash. And she said, over time you learn, if you want good roles in the future, you know, there's a compromise, you've got to, like, take some things. Um, one of the reasons she wanted to do, to do Grace and Frankie is she and Jane Fonda thought, you know, it's not only young women that are strong and survivors when shit happens to them. 
you know, aging women deal with a lot of shit. They survive and they thrive and they have full lives. And that's one of the reasons they wanted to. So Grace and Frankie's the Netflix show um, where for our listeners that don't list, uh, watch it, you know, they were both married to like they were the, she and the other couple were best friends. And then their husbands ended up being gay together, whatever. So y'all gay together. Y'all gay, y'all gay together. Um, so uh, they wanted to do that to show. You can be an aging woman, go through some shit, and you get over it. And you like, be, or you're single again. You have a full life. We're roommates. We, you know, do stuff. Um, you can be a woman in your 60s and 70s and be single, and you know, you can take care of yourself, and you know, or just be fun. You don't have to have a man. You can just be yourself. You can be a 60 year old woman. You can be a 60 year old man. Told you about my dinner the and other night. So I found I'm just out. saying. You <laughs> what are you saying? Why are you looking at me when you said you that? Can find your own peace. <laughs> I'm only in my 40s. <laughs> um, you don't have to be hold down to some relationship that's not working for you. Uh, you don't have to be married to that man anymore, that woman anymore. You can go and I'm do your right own now, thing. I, I went to dinner the other night with some women in their 60s, and this one lady, this 30-year-old, was into her, and she goes, he was into her. He's like, can I give you a massage tonight? And she goes, if I thought he would have left, I could have taken him home tonight and he left. I would have. She goes. He would have been t- into her in a different way. No? He goes. She goes. I don't need a. Sh- <laughs> you know, I'm not looking for somebody that wants a sugar mama. She goes. I, if I could have gotten rid of him, I would have. I, I know. I mean, and just on the, on the terms of like the 60s and 70 years old. Like I, I maintain. I tell students this. I tell uh, people that I mentor. I'm like, listen. And it, it's even more true now. I feel it's still 2016 is more a relevant example because you had a man and a woman. But Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, these guys are running for the biggest office, like Hillary Clinton and, and Donald Trump in, in their late 60s, early 70s. Instead of saying, you know, I'm going to retire and just be a grandparent, they're like, I want the biggest job in the world. Yeah. I want to be the first woman to ever take this job. I want to be the first non-politician to ever take this biggest job in the world. You can not like them. You can hate them. You can love them. But the fact that they those two that they're still wanting to do the next thing yeah yep. like there's more because we're I mean we talk to people in their twenties like oh I'm so old I'm 25 and like oh same I feel I've given up in life yeah. I'm 41 <laughs> exactly <laughs> but it's like you can you know you keep going until you don't want to keep going yeah. so the fact that Lily Tomlin is continuing to like do yeah. things and so like as I said in the nine to five movie Jane Fonda came up with the idea but Lily like she specifically wanted Lily Tomlin you know to work on it. And she's the one that kind of made it comedic. Um, and she's always tried to use, as I said, her role. So, like, she actually, in some of her albums, she made fun of, like, straight people that, like, try to distance themselves from their homosexual characters. So, you know, when they're in public, they're like, oh, well, you know, I played that. But, you know, so she, you know, poked fun at that. Um, interestingly enough, she found out after a couple seasons that, uh, and when I started reading this article, she found out that um, she and Jane Fonda were making the same amount as the two male actors in Grace and Frankie. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And she goes, uh, no, we are the lead actors. They are not. They are supporting actors. We should make more than them. And so she said, I'm going to start fighting against this because that's we freaking crazy. They were making them. I mean, it's Grace and Frankie, right? Those are the two main characters. Yeah. Like people go to watch Jane Fonda and right. And, Lily and so Tomlin. when she said that, she said, yeah, I found out that we were making the same as the male actors. And I just thought, oh, male, female. And she goes, we are the lead actors. Yeah. We are not 
they are the supporting actors. We should make more than them. And She's taking that battle in her 70s. 80s. Yeah. 80, how old is she? Uh, in her 80s, yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And so, oh, and they're also, uh, they, a couple of years ago, thought, let's do a, you know, sequel to 9 to 5. And so they've got writers working on it, actually. Um, but you better hurry up. Write faster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bitch. They are in their 80s. Betty White. Betty White's in her 90s. Almost 100. Dolly's excited but, about it. I, I've seen interviews with her. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm ready for this. So, Yeah, th- th- I think it's going to be great. But so on her that note. Her perked up in, when she heard about it. When she, uh, in the 70s, when she started it's women. ADA ramps again. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Women uh, in Hollywood made about 59 cents for every dollar that men made. Now they make about 74, which is progress. Um, so anyways, I think, you know, remarkable woman. Uh, I think she's done a lot. Uh, she's done a lot for the gay community. Um you know, she's, uh, hasn't been super, super outspoken, but, um, you know, she's always had her checkbook open and she's always, you know, like worked with phones and gotten, you know, people it, uh, to donate to stuff. Like there's a community, an LGBT community center in LA that in the 1970s, you know, they basically said when they were really in a ramshack, you know, state, uh, they wouldn't have had a roof if it wasn't for her. Like the, the roof was leaking and she donated a bunch of money to repair it. So, um, you know, just amazing woman. As far as award, she's like, you know, too numerous to mention, but she's gotten multiple acting awards like Emmys, Tonys. She's gotten Grammys for her albums. We know um, what the lesbian version of Emmys are called. Tammys. <laughs> <laughs> What? That's just a lesbian name to me. You got a short haircut. No. Exactly. Oh, man. But she also, you know, she's gotten awards, uh, literature awards for her writing and things like that. Um, she and her wife have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You know, she was honored at the Kennedy Center Honors um, oh, yeah, yep, in yep. 2014. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was uh, a pretty famous picture. You know, she's got the rainbow, mm-hmm. um, you know, thing around her neck and stuff. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, so amazing woman, and she's still like Tom said, she's still going strong. She love it. Eighties fighting for equal pay. Her and her wife are cute. I was watching an interview. With her them. wife is cute. Yeah, they're, like they're her, funny. Yeah. They kind of the the way they. Uh, it's surprisingly though, because I mean, you know, Lily Tomlin is the famous actress, kind of the face, but her wife is a fire pistol, and she's you know, in the interview I was watching, and like they'd ask. There's deference, I think, to the person who's on camera all the time, which is Lily, and so. But I feel like her wife was like, oh no. Let me like it wasn't like it wasn't confrontational. It was just kind of like even Lily was like, yeah, you're the you're the brains because she's the one who's the writer and mm-hmm. and a lot of the the material. So yeah, uh, which is kind of fun. That's a good partnership. Like I, yeah, I yeah. loved watching that. So they got married um, in 2013. They know how to want, but they were together for since the 70s. 71. Huh? Yeah. So wow, wow. Even before even you were born, Tony. That's like 50 years. Like almost 50 years. That's wow. Crazy. Their cats are on their knife. That's a lot of work. Speaking of work, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Economy Works. Need help with marketing? Hire a freelancer. Need help with building a website? Hire a freelancer. You need help with benchmarking and analysis? Hire a freelancer. Economy Works believes in the power of connection and wants to connect you with this talent network. The talent network has over 800 years of experience and it's growing in HR, marketing, IT, accounting, and other specialties. Economy Works. When we work, the Economy Works. You can find out more at economyworks.com. That's E-C-O-N-O-M-I-W-O-R-K-S dot com. All right, Kendall. I feel like your topic is like the straight version of Lily Tomlin because I heard an interview of her. She was cracking me up. 
Evelyn Hooker. Well, I'm going to talk about Ms. Hooker. I'm not talking about the two hookers at this table with me. So, Dr. Evelyn... Hmm? One of them's Morky? Yeah. So, Dr. Uh, Evelyn Hooker was born this week in September 2nd, 1907, and she was an American psychologist uh, known for her 1957 paper called The Adjustment of the Male Overt Homosexual, uh, which had many positive effects for gays in this country. But she was born in Nebraska and grew up with eight brothers and sisters. Uh, Her mom had a third grade education, but she pushed her kids to um, get an education. I, I should have. We, we both didn't say this. Dr. Evelyn Hooker. Oh, I said it. Yeah, okay. All mm-hmm. right. Dr. Hooker. Oh, he said it. She, she a doctor, boo. But she wound up being uh, six foot tall, um, and she was made fun of. She always felt like an outsider because at a very young age, she was very tall. Got her PhD in 1932, and then she spent a year in a sanitarium for tuberculosis patients. Wow. So here was this massive woman in bed for a year, tuberculosis, um, and she later attributed those two things as feeling like, again, I felt like not a part of the rest of what was going on yeah. in the world. Um, in 1937, she had received her PhD by then, and she went to a fellowship in Berlin at the Berlin Institute of uh, Psychotherapy. Actually, before she was working as a teacher at Whittier College, and we'll go back to that, but she was a teacher, and then 1937, she got the fellowship in Berlin, and this was right around the time Hitler was coming up, and Nazism was coming up, and she saw this, and she saw many of the, I mean, she literally saw Nazis in the street um, in Berlin, and went to a group trip to Russia, and saw the purges going on, I mean, because Russia was doing awful, awful things mm-hmm. at the same exact time. Um, and she saw both of, the, both of those things. And it, that background with the fact of feeling like an outsider from a kid, as a kid and being a patient and seeing um, the discrimination up close in Europe, she said, she later said, it's why I felt so, I don't want to say sorry, but sympathetic for the gays and the struggle they went mm. through. So she... Um, Later found out that the family she stayed with in Berlin was killed in a concentration camp. Oh, so really? it, it doesn't really, the war doesn't get much closer to yeah. even that than the person you stayed with for over a year dying in a concentration yeah. camp. Um, and then when she got back to the U.S., Whittier College said, your position is no longer available with us because you've been in a, they were skeptical of her because she had been in a totalitarian Europe for over a year and they were suspicious of her because at the time people were like why would you have been in Nazi Europe you know did you agree with it yeah uh, you decided to stay there when that stuff was going on uh, so she applied to teach at UCLA and they told her we already have three women on the faculty <laughs> so we don't need a fourth that's it we're good it we, have enough, we have enough women so even though she was completely qualified, had already taught, had a PhD, um, they gave her what was considered a lesser position as just a research associate. Mm. And she got such a good reputation so quickly as a brilliant researcher that they also uh, gave her classes to teach. And in the 1940s, she had a student come up to her, Sam Fromm, and said he was gay and most of his friends were gay. Um, and they became friends. She started following, going with all the little... She was the hag that went with them to the clubs and parties. She and was gay the fairy, bars. fairy godmother. Yes, the fairy godmother, the fruit fly of that group. 
but hag is offensive, right? I mean, we should just can we clarify that though? Like hag, it's an old school term. It's an old school term. Well, I didn't say the whole thing. I just said hag. What does hag mean? Fag hag. Right. Uh, well, I'm just saying. I don't, I feel like the women that don't like to be called hags. Well, they don't like oh, to some, some do. No, they don't. Some anyway, I was using like a term it. of the time. No, Thank just, you. Uh, just it was more of a clarification. Just a cultural reference. So uh, Sam convinced her to study um, homosexuality. He said, "Please study whether or not this is a mental disease." And he said, "Quote your science. It's your scientific duty to help people like us." So he <laughs> said. <laughs> Will you settle this once and all? Is it a mental illness or not? Yeah, they were like at a kiki. They were at a little party with her and her husband, I think, as I uh, understood. Like, they were um, they were away, and in, in, uh, I think I was on a on a boat trip or something, and she was like, uh, this is when he asked her, like, can you, can you make this? Because all of the research was homosexuals were... It was kind of stated as fact that it was a mental illness. But, and that was the reasoning for not letting them work in gov- but there government was n- positions. But her point was there was no research on it. It was based on Mm-mm. nothing. It was Correct. based on... Assumptions. S- someone said it. Mm-hmm. Which is why it's important to do your research beyond just Wikipedia. Click on the links, the, 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 uh, the source links, and get you there. I mean, I know I'm sickening, but it ain't a sickness. But oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, talk about stand-up. She agreed to do it um, because this is her friend. She fell in love with the gay people that she was surrounded by, and she said, okay. A- around that time, she had married Edward Hooker, which is how she got her last name. She's doing her research for years, and before her paper came out in 1957, her husband died of a heart attack, and little Sam died of a car accident in 1956. Um, and at the time, homosexuality was, consi- homosexuality was considered a mental illness by psychologists. It was considered a sin by the church and a crime by law. So really in every facet of life in the country, you were not safe to be... You couldn't be openly gay at all without free of repercussions. And you had a lone woman trying to research saying this is normal right against all odds against a at a time in the 50s where what you described everything but also like uh the lavender scare like mccarthyism at you know at its at its peak and a woman who they didn't want to give give a job to at the university because we already had enough women right and she's yeah. going to try to be like hey guys i know you think all these things badly about homosexuality but it's really well nobody wanted to give her a grant and then finally the National Institute of Mental Health gave her a grant. Initially, they said no, but the she had a, a meeting with the director, and she won him over, apparently, and he was sympathetic. She said, by force of personality, I won him over. Um, and her study was, it gathered 60 men. You like the sound of this already, don't you? It's like, hello, can they come to my sex dungeon? <laughs> um, 30 How straight funny. men. And 30 gay men. It, listen, if you want to have a housewarming party, it's 60 gay men at the... Yeah. Evelyn What's your address? <laughs> so 30, I'll house it while you're out of town. <laughs> 30 straight men and 30 gay men. She paired them uh, based on IQ, their age, and education. They were required to have never been in therapy or have psych- psychological issues. They couldn't have been in the military. Uh, they couldn't have been in prison or showed any evidence of, quote, considerable disturbance. So all three of us would be knocked down. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the testing she used, so she gave them all the same tests. She used ink blot tests, those Rorschach tests, which were mm-hmm. big at the time, where you look at an ink blot and you're, what is this you see? 
um, and other psychological tests. And then at the end of it, she presented it to three experts, three expert evaluators, um, and said, tell me which ones are gay. One expert took so long to study that he took six months to go over the data. Um, another one did it and then did it twice. And one of them admitted that, or the, one of them's results said there's no chance of figuring out which one by these data that you've used. I, I cannot tell. Like it's the same, it's just chance. So the, ad, the study was huge at the time because it was saying, okay, I've, I've studied an intensive, if we're gonna call them mentally ill, and I use the tests that we use to determine if someone's mentally ill. Yeah. Um, and all these people are same, same ba backgrounds, then it's not adding up. So it was a huge study at the time. And she said she had trouble getting, finding the right people to do this, this test. Like people didn't want to, gay people were scared to do it because you're coming out of the closet, you're coming mm -hmm. out of the woodworks and straight people didn't want to be associated with a gay test, right? They yeah, don't want to be part of She used a lot of people from the Madison Society, okay, which was a gay um, civil rights group or advocacy group at the time, and the people that were in that group were mostly professionals. I mean, it was a very yeah. And like, their thing was they didn't want to be outed, right? They no, yeah. it's not like ACT UP where we talked about where they're in yeah. the streets putting condoms on. Yeah, they they even had aliases so people wouldn't find out about them. Yeah, uh, yeah, they were behind the scenes. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they were, were. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the basement. In the sex dungeons in the basement. So that's how she found a lot of them. And a lot of them were referrals from the, the group of gay men that she hung out with. Um, but the 1960s, is that was in 1957 when it came out. But the 1960s, because of the gay rights movement, um, it really caught fire. But a few years before that, she had written a report that advocated for de decriminalizing homosexuality, mm. which is huge. And she said she had the data to back it up. How can we call these people mentally ill if we have a scientific studies and yeah. expert evaluators that are in this field cannot tell the difference, can't find the homosexuals? And hers were like, I mean, because there were other studies, I think, that came out. We've talked about this when we talked about the APA endorsing a, um, a proposal to... to um, to no longer classify homosexuality as a mental disorder. But, and so there were some other studies that were out there that were saying, oh, yeah, but they were not scientifically valid. Like, they, they didn't follow the normal methods that Evelyn Hooker followed or Dr. Hooker followed. I mean, this was a legit study yeah. control group, and she used, it was a 60 people was a lot. They were lacking, didn't have Peer-reviewed, which is another big, they would, if, for studies to be valid, they want to know, is it peer-reviewed? And she had the three biggest experts. In fact, two of them were the inventors or originators of the test that she used. Mm. You can't find more of an expert on yeah. that. And the one, and the one test that there was the prevailing like study that was going on at the time saying, Oh, this is, you know, homosexuality is a mental disorder was not peer reviewed. It was just kind of some uh, closeted homosexual. Well, I don't want to say that, but it was, uh. it was some guy who was, uh, it was a doctor, but he was just, it wasn't peer reviewed. It was just kind of like, and I think everyone assumed he had a bias in terms of like, I'm going to, Mm -hmm. prove this is you know homosexuality yeah. is a is a mental disorder versus she was coming at it from a neutral standpoint like a scientific standpoint like let's yeah. study this and find out yeah well her that study is most credited for the um homosexuality being removed from the handbook of disorders of the american psychiatric association in 1973 
Um, she was actually a subject of an Oscar-nominated documentary in 1992 called Changing Our Minds, the story of Dr. Evelyn Hooker. Really? So she's a big deal. Yeah. How one woman... That and actually, you know, the kind of hidden figure in this was the guy, Sam Fromm, that asked, stayed late after class and asked his teacher, you know, came out to her. She yeah. said he was, his bright, she, he was her brightest student, so she was already kind of aware of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was so receptive to it. But that was never the, the focus of her research and life's work. It just yeah. kind of, she was sympathetic to it because of her past. Yeah. She, uh, she said, you know, because, uh, so Making Gay History is another LGBTQ history podcast that I encourage you guys to listen to because while we, we have fun and kiki over it, like over drinks and we present our own perspective, like there you're hearing live interviews. Like Evelyn Hooker was interviewed in this, this podcast, which is where I'm kind of getting. Not my, by them though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, by the guy who, who did it in, in, ni- in the 1980, late oh, 80s, wow. 90s. Yeah. Um, it's a brilliant podcast. I encourage it. But again, it's very, uh, NPR like like you're getting live yeah. you're getting interviews uh, which is great you don't get the key key so they're not making hooker jokes uh, they are not making hooker jokes but she was saying she was telling a story because uh, you hear these because we just did a post about Marsha P. Johnson I get to hear Marsha P. talk right and so I w- listened to an episode with Evelyn Hooker and she was like to know the impact I had she's like you know it, it I feel it. I know it. But she's like, I know people come up. She's like, I had a girl come up to me and she's like, excuse me while I, I break down a bit. Cause she, she was crying as she was say, telling this story, but she's like, I had a woman come up to me and say, thank you so much because I, my parents, when I came out, they sent me to a mental hospital because mm. it was a mental disorder. Yeah. And she's like, the, the treatment at the time was, uh, electroshock therapy. And she said, but because of your work, one of the attending physicians knew of it and said, advocated that I not get treated that way. Like, I, I, you know, something different happened. Oh, wow. And she's like, to know that so many men and so many women and so many men were not, you know, yeah, didn't one go thing through to that. Theoretically treatment. think, oh, I was responsible for, you know. Right like bettering the lives of gay people. But when you hear stories like that, yeah. wow. Yeah. So she's like, I, you know, she, I mean, and she said it very humbly. It wasn't like I did this. She was, but uh, she was like, I cannot believe that th- that work manifested into to that sort of thing. And she's so she's very proud of the, what she's done. But to your point, she credits that student mm-hmm. who. Well, it's always, I'm, I always like our topics when it's a straight ally, because I remember when I was younger, you just want like a straight person to look at you like a human being Mm -hmm. and not, and even if they accept you, it's not through pity. Like I feel sorry for you. Like you need my help or something like that because it was so hard to find straight people that wanted anything to do with you, um, that you could trust to tell your secret to. So here's a woman that not only listened, but she said, yeah, I'll help you because when you're a minority, especially, I mean, there the numbers are supposedly the best guess 10% of the population is gay, but that doesn't mean they're all out. Right. So maybe three or 4% at that time, 2%, 1%. I don't know if you well, look at Twitter, Instagram now, they're all out, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I get your point. 
You look at Grinder, none of them around. They're all discreet. <laughs> so you need people like that to help you, and it's it was hard to find it at the time. It reminds me now. That's why I think I'm more sympathetic to something like Black Lives Matter. That's uh, am I because black? They need no, people who aren't but part of their they're community. a minority, and you have to form coalitions with people that understand or sympathetic to mm-hmm. that listening to or that aren't going to say, "Oh, you're wrong. It's not that bad," or something like that. Right. So come on, Hooker. Come on, I'm glad we've talked about her. We're like, oh, we're gonna do her. We're gonna we're gonna talk about her. So I'm glad we finally talked about her. So that was that's good. She's again a a pioneer in the LGBTQ community because she helped us from a um, you know we talked about previously the the American Psychological Psychiatric Association um, no longer putting homosexuality as a mental disorder, and so we credit that to Evelyn Hooker. So. Thank you for that. Also, thank you to everyone who's listening. We appreciate your support. Uh, we are at episode 66, I think, now. Uh, so we are uh, plowing through these, and we appreciate uh, all of your support, everyone listening. Each week, we also appreciate our sound guy, Spencer. He's the reason we get these episodes out every week, so we thank Spencer for doing that. Spencer, of course, you know, is part of Arts Movie Podcast and our Rupee Podcast, which is the uh, drag show recap uh, stuff that they've been doing. They, they do these episodes each week, uh, recapping. Now, right now, they're recapping Canada's Drag Race uh, and giving you all of the drag recap. And if you listen to Arts Movie Podcast, which I'm sure you guys have been doing for weeks on weeks on weeks on weeks on weeks, they talk about scary stuff, true crimes, murder mysteries, all of this stuff. So check them out at our Ruby podcast and our spoopy podcast, um, wherever you can. Um, and everyone, thank you for kicking us, kicking with us this week. Uh, and you, don't forget to subscribe to our, uh, our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen to us. You can visit our website at Let's Talk About Gay Stuff and find all sorts of fun stuff that, there. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Let's Talk About Gay Stuff and on Twitter at Talk Gay Stuff. Leave us a review. Tell us what you think. If you don't want to do it in public, you can drop us a line at Let's Talk About Gay Stuff at gmail.com. We are part of the Listen Works Network, and with that, we're here. We're queer. Get used to it. <laughs>